So hello and welcome to episode six of the Mighty Shakers podcast, a podcast for Berry fans where everyone is welcome to listen to us, even Darius Palmer. Ooh. <laughs> so this week there's uh, myself, Dan, got Will with me and Armin, and we're also joined by Marcel Dematas, the Berry FC board chairman. So this week on the Mighty Shakers podcast, we've got Berry Football Club board Chairman Marcel de Matos joining us. So as we do every week, we always ask uh, our guests their first memory of Berry FC. So could you share that with us, Marcel? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I guess it goes back to my school days when I was at high school, age 11, Broadock High School in Berry. Leighton James came in with a reserve goalkeeper to do a training session with our team. It was fantastic. Probably at that time, you know, one of the most fantastic things I've done. Everyone Knew Leighton James, not just because he played for Berry, but, you know, he'd, he'd played at a high level before that. I think my, my memories were, were of him playing for Swansea City just a, a few years before. And that kind of, you know, really got the flames going, roaring for me as a, as a young fan, wanting to go and watch football for the first time. A little bit after that, well, that must have been about sort of October's time, early November the same year, went along with a big gang of friends from school uh, who were similarly infused. Watched the game against Crew Alexandra. So we all went down from where we lived in Wormsley, went down to the game, watched it. It was an oh, it was a fantastic game, exciting. It was a two-all draw. Derry came from behind on two occasions to draw two-all. I remember there being a little, you know, this was the 80s, so being a little bit of a mini pitch invasion on each occasion when we scored. Yeah, and, and from that point onwards, you know, the, the, the bug was there. We're in the old boys' stand. You know, you guys might be a bit young to remember that. We're in the old boys' stand which was, uh, you know, looked like it was made out of cardboard and, and, and about to fall over. So we were in there rocking in the boy, in the boy stand and then walking round to the Manchester Road end as well. And it was at the time when there were the old um, paddocks, which still there in front of the main stand, which could go and stand in at the end as well. So, yeah, ab- absolute got the bug at that time and, 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 and never stopped since. I think you said we might be a bit young, but I reckon Will might be able to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as old as you boys think. <laughs> well, Armin always gives it me about being old, so I've got to give it to someone else about being old. I went to Broad Oak as well. We never got any players coming in. Uh, giving us any. There you go. Yeah, this was the, this was the 80s. We had a guy called Neil Jusnip, who was the PE teacher at the time, and I think he went on to be a coach for Everton. Uh, and then England under-18s, I believe, and then I think he might be down at Plymouth or somewhere now. So he, he obviously had quite a few contacts with, with Berry and other clubs as well, and I think he yeah. must have brought it in. Good pedigree there. What so obviously that was the earliest memory. What were your, what have your favourite memories been over the, I guess, more recent to that? You know, you look at you look at their memories. They're all, they're always going to going to be located to the kind of successful periods, aren't they? Uh, you know, the, the the times when we we either got into the playoffs or we we got promoted. Obviously, that season on the first season was fantastic. We were promoted during that season. I, I guess I remember the the game against Blackpool. But there's many other reasons to remember that game. But I remember Trevor Ross going a penalty to to win that game, which must have been around March time in 1985. And and that was a fantastic occasion. Some of the little things that happened in the rest of that game probably weren't. But but yeah, that, that really kind of drove home, you know, love for the club. You then go into later seasons. I remember playing at Preston North End. That was a fantastic season, 95. It would have been when we won the semi. First, the, the game at Deepdale. I think David Pugh scored. We stood in the terrace behind the goal. Absolute jubilation. Even better still on the return game, still in the semi-end. Tony Rigby knocked in the goal when all, all I was doing for the entire match was looking at my watch, thinking, is this, is this match never going to finish? The mandatory pitch invasion, trying to get over the fence at the semi-end at the time, get onto the pitch and then get back over again. Um, you know, kind of wonderful moments. And then you remember the promotions, you know, you remember the promotions on the pitch the season after, waiting for, I think... Uh, was it was it the Darlington score or something? I can never remember who went who, who was behind us. Waiting for that that score to come in, still on the pitch, threadbare, no grass. You know the season after winning the championship, down being down at Watford. What you know the Dean Kiley save, and then against Millwall at, at the final game of the season, 
big lane, drawing with City, David Johnson scoring, away game, Paul Butler banging in the header when we hadn't won. I think we hadn't won for about 17 games and um, Paul Butler backs it in, you know, you're at the back of the stand. Uh, absolute jubilation. I remember sitting on the bus back into town afterwards and just smiling all the way back, never ever thinking we'd beat Man City. So, you know, that that that, that was a wonderful moment. And then, you know, you, all, all these things like at Chesterfield, the Tramia games and... and you know, that was the memory that the final game at Tra- the final away game against Tranmere, obviously a poignant moment for us as, as, as a club. But that was a wonderful moment. I was there with me um with the kit man John Walsh and my brother who who lives on the Wirral. And we went to that went to that game. Danny Mayer's equaliser, absolutely fantastic going up on that occasion. So yeah, marvellous. These are all the memories you you take with you and you have forever. I think when you got to ninety five, Will started. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. with- <laughs> yeah. As soon as you got to Preston, I was like, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I think it's so true, though, about the, the, the last away game at Tranmere. He, at the time, and we weren't to know where we were, what, what what was coming in the future. But I, I'm, I'm so glad now. Obviously, we were supposed to play on Saturday, weren't we? And obviously, we'd sort of been out on the lash all day and the game got called off. And now I'm actually so glad because I actually went on a Tuesday night and remembered a lot more of it than I would have on the Saturday. So it may have been yeah. a different result as well, so... Absolutely. Yeah, funny how it works out. Yeah, obviously straight after that, we what happened happened, didn't it? And we we got kicked out of the league. And how was it you became involved with AFC at, at the beginning? So I think there was a, a call for volunteers. And I kind of, you know, it's one of those things I'd always follow because I've followed football for a long time. And you've seen clubs like, you know, the likes of Newport County when I, back in the 80s fall out of the league and, and, and it's happened to other clubs since, you know, like Aldershot, Aldershot I guess they were Aldershot United and originally in all sorts of clubs. And you'd seen it happened and you'd followed what had happened to them and how they'd have to start from scratch at the basement of the football pyramid and work the way up. And and it was one of those things, even at the point, you know, you started to see, you didn't know the full extent of the problems, but you're thinking, this can't be good. And... You know, we've got away with it on a few occasions. We've come back from the brink. We were thinking there's still not there's something just not quite right about what's happening here. We we didn't have the full understanding of the extent of the debt, the problems we're in, and, and, and really at the even at the time how bad something like Steve Dale was as a as a chairman. But from my perspective, that was one of the options on the table. And um, I just turned up as a volunteer effectively in the first instance, got involved, I was involved with some of the fundraising activity to try and build a pot of cash to, to help us move forward. And that and that was the original piece. And it just carried on from there, from getting involved in fundraising to being invited in um, to, to do other things over the over the period of time. Yeah, I was. I think I went to the, one of the first meetings as well and was helping out at the start and then came away. It just sort of wasn't for me. I just sort of didn't feel that. You know, I think it was all still a bit raw at the time and because of what everything was sort of up in arms with Berry. Obviously, we were like, there was a winding up order going in every other week, wasn't there? And we were sort yeah. of waiting for something to happen and it wasn't happening. So for me at that point, I was just just didn't sort of step away because I just thought wasn't sure what was completely going on really so that's sort of where it stopped for me but I think I I was there at the, the early stages trying to help out and it's great what happened to be fair because we, like, we wouldn't be here now would we with the, the merge of the two sides and everyone pulling together at that point it's just every time somebody asks me about Berry because you always do you know if you go to a family party or you see somebody you've not seen for a long time they always ask what's going on with Berry and what's happened and it's so it's always such a different story to any other club that sort of fell out of the football league because we weren't actually ever wound up and like the the company's still going sort of thing so it's always so complicated to explain and why there's sort of been a divide in the town and things like that so I've always found it 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 is you know it's all those really unfortunate things isn't it because as you say you know when other clubs went they they just went essentially and and there was nothing no remnants remaining to to happen and unfortunately the way it happened with us and 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 I suspect you know, a lot of it was driven and deliberately driven by Steve Dale to, to make it difficult for us. It meant that we had this kind of unnecessary divide, which in, in reality no other club had to experience. And, and and some of that's kind of continued to percolate through over time. Uh, and, and yeah, clearly it's, it's, it's not ideal, but it is something that other clubs never had to deal with and were able from the from the beginning to kick on in unison and, and, and push their clubs forward as fast as they could. Well, yeah. Obviously you were on the board at... AFC, and obviously now yeah. you're you're on the board at Bury FC. What's the similarities, differences like being at with Bury compared to AFC and having Gig Lane as well? I mean, it's it's it's, 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 it's the differences. I mean, the, the the similarities are, you know, it's an only football club. You're in the Northwest Counties League. 
you're playing essentially the same teams. You've got largely, you know, there's a lot of people who've been around who've been volunteering for, for years. They they understand how non-league works and they get involved and, and make things happen. So from that point of view, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of similarities. The kind of big differences are, we you know, we're playing in a in a big stadium and that has lots of pluses and advantages in terms of, you know, when you're trying to attract people in. If you're in a 12,000 all-seater stadium, it's a lot more attractive for people to come and watch. So you'll get people who never even, you know, not necessarily Berry fans or whatever watched Berry before, but who will be attracted to come. It's it's probably a bit of a more of a, a centrepiece which attracts people in and, and that's absolutely advantageous. There's, there's some kind of, obviously, downsides with that in terms of, some significant cost, cost that no other team uh, has to bear in terms of, you know, we'll, we'll see it all the time, people talking about the levels of security staff, but, you know, they, they, these are some of the things we have to deal with. It's expensive. We have to have medical provision in place, such as a stadium doctor and first aiders and first aiders. And, and obviously with a big asset and, and infrastructure such as that, there are also, you know, some costs that come with it. So, yeah, it, it, it's a big difference. You need many more people to be involved with the magnitude of setup we've now got. Uh, and some of that's fantastic and it's brilliant. It drives things on. And some of it, you know, provides you with a few more challenges with which with which you have to deal. So is that why we have three boards? Obviously, there's a board like the stadium, the football board and the CBS board with the society and things. But and my mate always asks me when, especially when the, we were doing the elections and voting, he just yeah. couldn't understand why we had three different boards. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just give me an explanation. So, when, when, so the, the structure you have as a fan on club is, is something that, you know, is basically driven when, when you talk to people like the Football Supporters Association, they will have these structures in mind and the way it operates because you have your overall elected board whose role is, is really to drive the long term strategic thinking around the club, how the club's going to grow, how it's going to bring people in, how it's going to develop infrastructure, where it sees itself down the track and how it secures investment to do that. And that's really all the long-term thinking from the elected members. There's then stuff to do, which is everyday operational stuff, you know, making sure we've got players, we've got a coach, they've got somewhere to train. We, we've got the fixture lists organised. When we get red cards and display, we can deal with that. We've got the kits are washed and dried, all the everyday operational stuff is not really for you know your traditional strategic members of the board to discuss. They don't need to be getting into the minutiae. So the structure is always around having what they call the football board, which in, in real terms is a little bit of a glorified name. We're not a board in the truest sense. It's an operational team that just delivers the operations of the club and that, that differentiates, differentiates itself from the long-term strategic thinking that you that would be delivered from the elected board. The third board is different because you then have a, a company which owns the stadium and therefore that company must have a board. Now, that company is part-owned by the Football Supporters Association and by the benefactors who, who contributed some of the funds alongside the grant from the government to purchase the stadium. And therefore that has a board which includes the benefactors and a selected number of members of the elected board who sit on a combined board to run that stadium. Then for like for the stadium, how has that decided who sits on the board? Was it down to experience? Because obviously I know I think something that came up a lot was Mike Goodyear. He was per, like, previously involved yeah. with running the stadium. Yeah. Obviously, I think he's a structural engineer, so I just thought he would have been the yeah. perfect fit for that yeah. role. Yeah. I mean, to, to I wasn't there at the time that the decisions were made on there because I was... Uh, Working away, working away in Spain, but but people have the chance to put themselves forward. So I don't think there was some some strategic selection process of you've got this skill, you've got this skill. People were asked to nominate themselves and put themselves forward for the board, and it was those people who put themselves forward were then were then selected as those board members. So he didn't put himself forward then. I that's how so I, I was in the meeting, but, but from what I understand, no, he wasn't. He okay. didn't put himself forward at that time. We had a John Newby on a few weeks ago as well. Um, and he was talking about the football board and what he felt he could offer to the football inside of things. And he said he had a chat with yourself and it was really positive. Is there any update on that side? Has, has John got a better role or is he yeah. involved in the yeah. football side a bit more? Yeah, he's involved in the football side. So John's got a role now, which is really to about, again, thinking both short-term and long-term to drive recruitment, think about a strategy, a strategy for, for recruitment to the club, not just whilst we're at the Northwest Counties League, but as we grow into the Northern Premier League and beyond. So that's where his his value and skills lie. He worked at Liverpool Football Club. He's got a recruitment and scouting role, and he's got contacts and a network which help you to do that. So that that really is is part of his role to 
put a recruitment strategy in place so we can start to um, to build the club going forward. The, the 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 other aspect to that is is also thinking a bit more long term and working with every aspect of the club, such as the women's team, the under twenty threes, the youth setup to try and build a platform to grow football, the strength of our football provision within the club as a whole. So that provides a route through to senior football, be it men's or women's, all the way from from the youth team. And and, and we've only just begun that journey, but as you saw, you got uh, Joe Hobson came on on Tuesday night, pretty much with his probably first or second touch, he knocked one away. So, you know, th- th- these are the kind of positive things we want to see. And, 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 and that fits with very much with John Newby's background, and that's what... John wants to do, and he's happy to do. Happy in that Liverpool loan market as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but those, those are things that become important because at the level at which we sit, we can't at, the, at present take players from, say, outfits at a certain level, including the EFL and the Premier League. Um, you can take on effectively work experience people who come for a, a very short period, but you can't really take on loans and those sorts of things. Now, as we grow in stats and we move to higher levels, those sorts of things will, will, will be able to occur. With that, what um, level can we start taking like loan players on, to say? So in the Northern Premier League. Right, okay. Start to do that, yeah. And then in terms of the football board, like, how do you advertise the roles? How do you get more people involved? Or is it just like a internal recruitment sort of thing? It, it, so, so, I mean, to be honest, the, the, it's a bit glorified, to, to be honest, because it's there's certain operational positions which have been filled from the start and then there's been progression within teams around those things. So, you know, you, you have a, an administrative team which does the secretarial tasks. You'll have a media team which, which is, you know, has quite a number of channels to it. And then you'll have sort of match day operations activities. So generally, people get involved, they come as volunteers. No one's kind of, apart from if you come for a particular role, you've got specific experiences, people generally kind of work their way up and, and get involved in activities and they move between activities and other. So, you know, it, it, it sounds this, this exceptional, yeah, this, this special group, but really it's just people doing everyday operational tasks as such. Uh, and some of that comes from the, the volunteer base over time. Yeah, I guess it's good that John was voted onto the community board first then, I guess, for, for him to sort of come in that way. Obviously, he was very popular within the voting, wasn't he? I think he got second most vote for the first most yeah, vote. Yeah, I think he was first most votes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, so it's great. I think for a lot of fans, especially who are sort of new to weren't following AFC and are sort of coming afterwards, I think it's good that there's that connection there with a former player. I'm not saying that we need to be filling like our squad full of former players and and pulling people, but I think it's good that we've got John because I think he speaks well and he he just loves Bury, doesn't he? Like when we had him on, he, he loves Bury. So and obviously he's been based here for for a long time now. So absolutely, yeah. Especially when we when when we do get up the, those divisions and then we can start loaning players and then he can pull some strings. months ago we had managerial how did you come to that decision like was it a few weeks in the making or I mean these things happen over time you know you, you never get to the point of a single point in time and go right a, a manager has to go I, I think you start to see certain trends certain things happening which you know may raise concerns you start to have those conversations and, and, and things kind of evolve over time until it gets to a point where you know, you get to a point where, unfortunately, no one ever wants to do this, but you have to make a decision. And and, and that probably happened over a couple of months, a period of time. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't an instantaneous decision, although it did happen very quickly. You know, those decisions have been kind of circling in people's minds for a time. Uh, and ultimately, you do have to get to a, a tipping point, if you like, where you have to make that decision and there's no there's no going back. And that, that's really what happened with the, the Andy situation. And were you involved with bringing McNabb in? Not personally, but were you part of the board that made that decision with McNabb? Yeah, so I was involved in, in in going out and looking for the managers, sifting through the CVs and sharing those with others, and then bringing those in and and, and interviewing interviewing Dave and and other candidates as well, and, and making that final decision on uh, on on the choice of manager. How did you know he was the one? What what persuaded you for Dave? You know, you're looking at Dave and looking versus the other p- people who came in is you know. He's got a track record of success. He's he's been through the non-league system. He's gone from step six with Warrington Rylands up to step three, and then established Warrington Rylands, who, who were really a, a relatively small club with no kind of significant non-league history up to up to that level. He's done that. He's boarding players. 
He he knows the levels of football at which we're playing. He has those network. The other thing that attracted us was he also have that strong team which sits behind him. He's not doing it on, on his own. You know, if you look to Andy Welsh, Andy Welsh worked with, with Spen and Nipper and he had Phil Carrout in his AFC days pre- previously. But he also took a lot of those roles on himself. Whereas Dave kind of was a bit more affiliative, I guess is the word, where he'd delegate a lot of the tasks out. So he'd have a role and, you know, Dave is the manager where he's got a, a top quality coach in Tim and he's he's got other coaches with him. He's got a goalkeeping coach in Sam. You've seen Sam play against Rami. He's got an analyst. He's got a scouting team. And all that comes together to provide, you know, it's the old saying, isn't it? You've got, you got, you got that number of minds in combination working in collaboration provides a lot more strength than any one individual. And, and, and from that perspective, he brought that, he brought the knowledge of the area and also the will to succeed. You know, with some of the candidates, you could have that conversation, you can understand their determination to win. There, there was, I couldn't see anybody maybe, there was a, one of the candidates who you looked at that absolute determination to win, didn't want to lose at all. And 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 you knew you, they're the right person. Coming into this role without any fear, you know, the fact that we're playing in front of large crowds in a large stadium, that fear just wasn't there from Dave and, and he, he was an exceptionally strong candidate. It's a big job, isn't it? I think you've got to have that mentality. It's I think there's a lot of expectation from, from Berry fans that not to be back in the divisions that we were, but to be at least going through the next couple of divisions and, and getting to the Northern Premier where at least joining Maxfield and, and being in there. You, you obviously you mentioned that that McNabb's got sort of more more staff within his team. Does that become because we've got a bigger budget because we we've got more sort of fans now than AFC did and we're at Gig Lane and things like that? Yeah, I mean that I mean that, that of course helps because you know you, you've got to be able to balance the books and you're getting more support of them. That does generate greater revenue and it gives us a little bit more freedom to to with our budget in terms in terms of getting some of the, the the best players in we possibly can and, and, and that does make a difference. People that we've spoken to so far and uh, people have sort of players have said on Twitter that people want to come and play at, at Gig Lane like Jepson was saying last week with us that there's not there wouldn't be a player that would play against in this division who wouldn't come and, and play for Berry, who wouldn't snap their hands off and do that. Um, and obviously a lot of players have come from two divisions above, haven't they? So obviously it's a, it's a pull, isn't it, playing for Berry FC at, at Gig Lane? Yeah, no, ab- ab- absolutely pull. It's attractive. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a blade sword in, in reality because you, you look from some people and it's oh, it's an attraction. You're playing in front of crowds and, and, you know, rather than playing in front of 70 people or even less than that on a, you know, freezing cold night in, at Daisy Hill or somewhere like that, but no offence to Daisy Hill. But, but also it, it can be a double-edged sword because you're playing in front of large crowds. The crowds are expectant. As an non-league player, you, you'll never get that level of pressure and expectation anywhere. So it does put pressure on you. It does mean, you know, if, if somebody makes a mistake and you're playing at a, a team at, at our level generally where the crowds are smaller, you tend not to get that much criticism because people know you're a non-league player, not the level at which you're playing. Their expectations aren't probably as high. And some people will criticise, but that also can have a negative impact on players. And for some players, you, it's really about are you able to cope with that pressure of playing in front from that size of crowd with that level of expectation and can you handle that and, and not every player can so for some it's an attraction for others actually it's something which would, would steer them away you know better to play somewhere else where the expectation is lower you've got a bit more freedom to play if you make a mistake it doesn't matter too much uh, and, and and some players for some players it isn't necessarily the, the attraction that it might that, that it might otherwise see obviously you, ju- you just mentioned then about players leaving obviously last week we had Probably a bit of a shock, really, with Darius Palmer leaving, didn't we? Yeah. Was that a shock to yourself? Obviously, he played, I think it was one game, wasn't it, after his operation? Was, was that a bit of a shock to, to you guys as well? It, it, it was a bit of a shock. I mean, there's it, it, something going over there for a while where a, a team, not the team he went to, came in for him. Uh, and he came in for him, really, not in the best way possible because he, he kind of made us aware that he was he, he was he was likely going to leave. He'd have received an offer from elsewhere and he was likely going to leave. And we, we kind of back a little bit on that. As it, end up, as it ends up, he ends up going to a completely different club. Um, we're disappointed in that. I, I think the manager absolutely liked Darius as a player when he first came in after Andy had left. One of the first people he asked me about was, was Darius Palmer. So he had a lot of respect for Darius Palmer. He wanted him in the team. He uh, helped and supported him in his recovery to get him back into that team. And clearly everyone's bitterly disappointed that Darius has chosen to go. But, you know, by the same token, you, you understand he's got a chance to play in a, at a higher level. And uh, I would assume also he's, he's, he's probably had a better offer finance and he's made that decision to go. Because he was on our podcast, we had a chat with him the other day about him leaving and he did say 
he got offered more elsewhere. And to be fair, if we're attracting players from a couple of leagues above, then I can see why we're not offering, why we're not matching that amount, because really we don't really need to. But going back a couple of months to fundraising, do you think that's yeah. kind of like a lesson learned in terms of doing it again? Oh, oh without doubt. I mean, I, in fact, I mean, I was, I was away in, in Spain at the time on holiday and, and, I, and I saw the kind of notes coming about the um, the fundraise. I mean, the, it was all done with positive intent. So, you know, it's driven a lot by Andy himself as, as the manager to, to try and bring fans together, to do something positive for a player who, who you know, in the short time he played for us, had shown, he'd shown, you know, a, a excellent application. He'd done well for us. And and at the time, you know, uh, and, and there's still a little bit of this around, you know, you see a little bit, a lot of people weren't quite de there with the, uni the, you know, the reunification of the fan base. Uh, and Andy felt it was something that might bring people together uh, and, and went for it on that basis. Now, you know, in hindsight, a non-contracted player has the freedom to go. But, you know, from my point of view, the expectation is you, you help somebody along the way. At least the least they can do is kind of repay a little bit, come back, play a few games, show how fantastic they are before then then justifying the move to a, to a higher league club. Uh, now, Darius has decided not to do that and, and, that, and that's his prerogative to do it. So, but, you know, you, you, you live and learn and... and Potentially, we won't, we won't go back there again. Just going back to, obviously, you mentioned that the move eventually itself was unexpected because there was another club in for him. Yeah. Post-match, McNabb mentioned about Welsh coming in for Palmer. Yeah. Was there anything in that in terms of guys that coming in? And also, is it true that there's a deal with Andy Welsh about not signing any Berry players this season? So... So you've got to be a bit careful talking about, you know, private information for on people's contracts and those sort of things. But, but um, effectively... You know, from from the note I received was was that Geisley had come in for for Darius. They'd offered him a substantial amount more to move to Geisley, two levels above also, and playing in the Northern Premier League. Um, you can see how that could be attractive to, to an individual. I mean, I don't know Darius's personal circumstances, but when when you're earning the amount that was purported to earn, it, it you know, and you're a, you're a young guy, it's a substantial increase upon your you know your working wage, and you can understand that. Um, there are, as you expect, when you have a contracted manager, there, there are also, you know, it's typical, it's typical within contracts to have clauses in, in the termination, you know, the termination clauses which try to prevent uh, people taking, you know, managers taking people with them like coaches and staff and other things. So there are typically in contracts those sorts of those sorts of clauses to prevent that sort of activity. I don't know your background, sorry, Marcel, but have you had to learn like how to deal with those kind of footballing contracts compared to like what you do in everyday life? A, a, a little bit. I mean, it, you know, it's I deal with contracts quite a lot. Uh, I've been doing contracts for for a long time, so I'm not I'm not I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a legal person. I haven't done a law degree, but just simply from dealing with contracts and some substantial contracts over periods of time, you get to understand generally the terminology. These the contracts as they operate down at this level are fairly standard. And therefore, you get you just get to understand them, understand what what's in there, and, and what that prohibits, and what that allows, and so. Do they have bonuses at this level, or is it basic wage? It depends. So, it, it, and it's, it depends on individual players. So, some players will get an appearance fee. Some players will get an appearance. Uh, will get a you know on contract, so they'll get a, a fixed amount just for being on contract on a weekly basis. Some will then get an additional amount, which relates to how many appearances they have. Some will get a goal bonus. Some will get a clean sheet bonus. And, and and there are various ways of doing it. You can you can you can manoeuvre those and manipulate those to, to suit the individual circumstances. I think it's a shame about Darius because, like you said, he started off the season really well, didn't he? Really, when he got injured, I think everyone was gutted that he, he did get injured. And I think it can be easy from us from from us fans just to say, well, hopefully we're going to be in that division in, in like a couple of seasons. So sort of stick with us and we'll get there. But I know on when he was on the podcast with us, he said how much he loved both those managers who have. Like reportedly coming for him, like if Welsh did come in for him, and then he's gone to to play at Staley Bridge. He, he, he said he loved both those managers, so you could sort of see it happening. I think not a lot we can do now. We're, we're thankfully it's something that we discussed in here actually was when he come when he came back from injury. We were just saying we're, we're blessed at the moment, aren't we, with those attacking players in those positions? So I think it was, it was always going to be a struggle, no matter how much he may have been liked by the manager. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's like everybody. He would have given the chance. I think that. The manager knows him simply from his, his his track record and his history. He was well respected. He would have been given every chance to get in the team. You know, it's not to say he would have been guaranteed a place because you can't assure people a place in your team. But also, I don't, you know, 
I fully understand why he might want to move elsewhere. And, and you know, the opportunity at his age to play two levels above, effectively at, at, at tier, trying to remember, the tier, tier seven, you know, um, step, step three in, in National League system terms, um, for a substantial amount more in, in terms of the pay he'll receive. Totally understandable. But from my perspective, you know, also disappointed. regards to accounts and things like that is that something that as, as members we're going to start to receive information about again because i believe very afc accounts were quite frequent and quite detailed but i'm not sure we've had anything sort of since the merge yeah definitely that's on, that's on track i think one of the one of the challenges is that that the plan is to include accounts which cover the society the football club and then the stadium the stadium's a little bit more challenging because we're gaining access to information about the stadium accounts for the first time and there's lots of things we don't know with lots of things we haven't you know, people are not used to going through them. So that will take a little bit of time in, in, to, to people to get their head around so they understand what's going on before they can start to structure the accounts in an appropriate way, have all the relevant information from the different groups, and then be able to put a kind of, if you like, a consolidated set of accounts out, which are accurate, which are accurate and reflect what, what's actually gone on. It'd be interesting to know, obviously, I don't know how detailed they go, but just especially like around players and things like that, because I think everyone's always interested on in like how much pay, players, players are getting paid at a level and that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it won't, it won't go down to the level of individuals. It'll be on the level of a kind of combined amount. So you'll have a budget line which relates to, to player salaries or, or, or whatever, and, and you'll be able to see from that level, but you're not going to see a, you know an individual salary for any individual player. And uh, talking like budgets and things like that, so obviously we've, Brought on new staff, haven't we? A new stadium manager. Um, yeah. So how is that working at the moment then? And sort of where's that being paid from? Is that paying paid from the club? If we've got yeah, that's paid for the football club. The football club for, yeah, the football club pays for the um the stadium manager to run that. He's he's been enrolled a couple of weeks now, and you know over time as we we grow as a club and as the stadium grows in terms of what it delivers in terms of functions and events, we'll need to professionalise that area a bit more and get more people in. To, to be able to sustain that and run that in, a, in in the best way we can, the most efficient way we can. So, so that's bringing on staff then, as in like in bar areas. Obviously, I've I think heard and many people have mentioned this week about volunteers no longer working in the bar. So, is that yeah? I mean, it's, yeah. With, with that one, so you know, there has been con- there's, two, there's two things there. One is these out of hours, you know, non-match day bar activity, where you know, talking to some individuals, they feel it's not appropriate for volunteers to be expected to run bars on a Saturday night, you know, between six and midnight and, and, and run all that activity. Talking to, to individuals, you get the feeling, you know, it, it puts them under a lot of pressure. Seat the pants stuff where you've got parties coming in, they don't truly un- understand what it is, you know, how, what, what they're supposed to deliver. They're small in numbers, they're having to manage security and all those sorts of things. So there will have to be some organisation of those sorts of functions which sit outside of no- normal match day activities where people come in and run those events from the other side from the match day you know it's it's you know it's a bit of a sensitive area but you, you you get kind of numbers of individuals being in contact for whatever reason kind of actually start to say well you know there's no certainty that we'll be able to staff these activities and provide people for it and and the problem is when you start to get to match days you know volunteers are welcome there's n- nobody's said anything to a volunteer that they're not able to volunteer on a on a match day at all, but there's also from the side of perspective is there needs to be a little bit of certainty that somebody can is actually there when necessary. So there's a little bit of activity around making sure that people can be made available on those days when they are required. Uh, and there's a little bit of there. There's, there's a little bit of uncertainty and confusion in the area as well, without doubt. But that that hopefully should be resolved over the next few over the next few weeks. On that, have we actually spoke to the volunteers on whether they're happy to? Work out of hours, or has it just been the decisions being made for him? Because I know, no, no, we we spoke past- today. So I was I was down there with David Cheshire on Wednesday, who'd volunteered to run a um, volunteered to to be on a, a function in in uh, Starkey's on Saturday night, uh, and this is from my conversation with him about what needed to happen and whether the the club could provide some support in that area. So no decision has been made in isolation of talking to individuals about what needed to happen on a you know, for these out-of-match-day events. Obviously, for the last couple of years, they've been running events and 
me myself, I've hired eighteen eighty five suite a couple of times on our downhouse as well, and yeah. it's always been it's been well staffed. It's, there's never really been an issue, so it was more yeah. that you've had people there for two three years that have got the experience of running gig lane, running the bars. Why not use them the same way the guys from AFC being welcoming? So you've got like people like Johnny on social media and you yourself on the football board. Why not utilize your skills and bring in the stadium skills? And I think that's the best a- way absolutely. for them. Absolutely, there's no there's no issue with that at all. But having had conversations and people do agree that for these after hour events, it's, it's simply not fair to expect to put people. You know what what we found in having done this for a number of years now. There's always the risk that you get volunteer fatigue. You know, volunteering generally is something done through goodwill because people want to do it. When you start to expect people to come and do things which other people will be paid to do, you can run out of a bit of goodwill there. And you have to put, it's important in my view, you put provision in, in place to be able to deal with the situation when that volunteer volunteer fatigue arises. And doing out doing non-match day type activities when there's no football associated with it, I think in my view, there's a... There's a kind of ethical issue also around expecting to people to work for free on a on, on an evening between the hours of six and twelve for um, you know twenty first birthday party or a or a, a wedding do or something something like that. That's something I, I think it's important to be able to, to have the provision to be able to put paid staff on to man those things without any expectation that a volunteer will go in and do that work. Yeah, of course. But I think um, when you look at it like that, we've got a lot of like you say volunteers' experience. Why have we not looked at paying them? Because I know. These days, but if you look at bringing in people on agencies doing work, they're not going to look after Gig Lane the way volunteers are. They've been there for two or three years. So if we start paying them, would they not take better care of Gig Lane than agency staff? It, it depends what you're asking them to do. If you're asking them to do a, a very specific job, they'll do a very specific job, and they're getting paid to do that job, so they will do it to the best of their availability. And, 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 and clearly, if they don't do it to the best of their ability, you won't take them off. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. Just so I understand, so are you saying that the, the volunteers were expected to work during the game if they're working on the bar, and then they'd also were expected to do a function at night? So what what I'm saying is these functions, they were, as I understand, a number of functions have been organised yeah. prior to Stark is being opened, and people there's no well there's no one else to run it, so there's nobody else. If it's going to be run, volunteers have to step in and say they would do it. And I believe there's a function on Saturday evening at which. Three volunteers volunteered to do that. Now, from my perspective, having spoken, you know, and, and had a conversation with Dave, you know, from his point of view, his point of view, and my point of view was, you need paid staff in there. You need at least three paid staff in there. You probably need somebody who's going to also coordinate those kind of events where they work and liaise with the individuals booking the event. They make sure they know exactly what's going to going to happen. And also, you've got to consider things like security because if you've got an event with 110 people in, and all of a sudden something goes wrong and, and, and somebody kicks off, having three volunteers, you shouldn't be putting the pressure on volunteer bar staff to be able to deal with that sort of situation as and when it happens. Not to say it will happen, but you know, there's, a pos- there's a potential that it will. Yeah, I get that. I just think, and I completely understand having staff on, on functions in the evening, so if you've got stuff on at Starkey's or so on, but if there's people currently wanting to volunteer and work on the bar in the 885 suite and match days between 12 and 5 or whatever it is, those match days are I feel like you can still keep those on board and then yeah. obviously spend the money on, on the agency staff in the evenings ah, for where there's extra. Absolutely. And, then there's, and there's no problem with that. You know, there's absolutely no problem with that. No one's no one's at any point said anything about that. And what's Dave Chester's uh, involvement at the moment? Sorry. Is he still involved? So so as I understand, not not this moment now, but but you know, that's uh, you know, it's not for me to kind of discuss the, you know, what Dave Dave decides to do, but as I understand not not at the moment. Yeah. Do you find um it getting Harder getting volunteers in. I know I've, I've, I've I just see things on Twitter and social media, and yeah. I've seen a lot of people say I'm I'm done volunteering. I'm stepping away. Things like that. Is it getting harder as a club to get volunteers in? It depends. It depends in which part, part of volunteers. You know, in some in some aspects of volunteers, you've got more than enough people. Uh, you've got people who are kind of absolutely enthusiastic about doing it. In other areas, it's a little bit more difficult, and and you're always going to experience that. And I think. The longer you move things on, there's always the risk that things drop off because at the end of the day, when, you, when you're a football club, you know, and if you go back to, you know, pre, pre-expulsion days, you know, for somebody like myself, the driver is to go and sit in a stand and watch football. You know, you haven't got any other thoughts but to, to, to do that. So that, that really, if I look at the majority of the fan base, the majority of the fan base, that's what they want to do, you know. If we considered, like, 
using our social media to beef these people on a volunteer. Because obviously, since we've moved in, I don't think I've seen any posts to say volunteers needed. Because we see, I've seen your post about Stuart in, and obviously, I see you asking a few fans whether they'd be interested. I'm sure if you put it out there, we'd be able to yeah. get a few volunteers, for example, Stuart in, but also a few from these agencies just leading the way. And I think it'd make it a lot more affordable for the club going forward. Absolutely. And there's an intention to call for more volunteers. But we, we have done, we did a big, massive campaign on volunteering back in the summer. So before we played Bradford City, we did a big campaign. It went out by social media. It went out by email to members. We have a significant response where about 130 people replied to that. We then had about 80 people probably came into a, an initial meeting and they had a conversation, got a chance to understand the role they'd take. And, and we've had a fantastic response from that. So, you know, we, we have done com- campaigns. We, you know, we're into a, a kind of a slightly new era post-election where that sort of thing needs to be gone, done again and refreshed. But that's one well, that's one of a number of things and many other things that needs to be done as well. But without a doubt, that's something that, that will be done at some stage. And we're going to do that. But it's also, you know, managing the expectations that, you know, out of a fan base of, you know, a typical crowd on a Saturday of 3,000, the, the proportion of those who may wish to volunteer is only going to be a relatively small proportion of that. So we touched on the, the events at Gig and Starkies and things like that. So are we expecting Starkies to be open soon? And what's the... How, how is it going to be open to supporters, if at all? So we're, we're hoping to do that. I mean, one of the, the, the kind of initial target, and we'll see if that happens, is was around getting it fully open by something like the Ramsbottom game. Again, we just need to work out the logistics of opening it, how that kind of fits with doing things like hospitality for visiting uh, players and, and managers and, and the like, uh, and match officials, and work, work the logistics out alongside those sorts of activities, making sure we've got the requisite staff we want to do it be that volunteers or whether we need to kind of bring in additional paid staff to do it. And once we've got that understanding in place, we've got the logistics, we've got things like everything sorted, like the, the pumps on the bar, then we can we can have a definitive opening day. But as I say, the, the initial kind of thoughts around getting the Ramsbottom game for that purpose. There's obviously been, and I've seen you answering questions about stewards and things over the last couple of days, but yeah. I guess if that was to be open as like a match day bar, then I assume that it comes with, with costs for stewards. And I'm guessing if that stand's going to be open all the time. Yeah, so so at, at the moment, the, the numbers that go into that bar will fall into the total numbers in the main stand. So we have a limitation, I can't remember what the exact numbers are. I think it's... Um, you know, just over between five and six hundred people um, who are allowed in in the main stand in its totality at this moment in time, and and within Starkies will be about a number of one hundred and ten. So we will need to be able to manage one entrance and egress from that from that bar and ensure that we control the numbers in the entire stand. When people move out of that bar, they they then move into the seated area as appropriately before kind of coming in at half time or after the game. So those are kind of some of the logistical logistical issues. We'll also need to manage. What's that figure stand? Are we looking at getting full capacity at some point? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the, the high priorities for the main stand is to, to make sure we can um, get to the point where we tick all the necessary boxes with the council. There's confidence in us in terms of running the stadium and there, and therefore they allow us to open up the entire the main stand in, in its entirety. And that for me is, is one of the highest priorities over the next over the next month or so. I think it will be popular. I know people who sit with me now in the South End used to sit in the main stand and, and don't as, go off as often as they used to. So I think it will be popular, but you just have to see how many go in there, don't you? And then what the costs are. But with the stadium and obviously like the situation that we're in at the moment with the merger and things like that, how's how's the sort of dialogue and everything been with the benefactors? So, you know, that sort of stuff's ongoing. There's, there's, there's a, a few, kind of few key pieces, I think, was, was stating a statement around putting an agreement in place, which makes sure this kind of security a tenure over a period of time, which allow us to um, have control of finances in a way which the, the you know, the football club makes its necessary contributions to the running of the stadium, but at the same time generates its own, you know, some, some revenue from, from, from that as well. So those sorts of discussions are, are taking place and should come to some form of resolution at some stage. Do we contribute anything at the moment to the stadium? Yep. So the, the contribution to the stadium is there. You'll see that in the council, there's an agreement there, I think it was something like £58,000, £59,000 to, to go into the stadium, which is you know largely focused on contributing towards repairs and, and, and upkeep. And then there's you know a number of other kind of costs which will go into that as well, including paying for things like the stadium manager and any staff in that. That needs to be done as well. So there's a, that, that's how it runs at the moment. The intention is over time that the stadium takes, sorry, the football club takes on board 
all of the cost for the stadium. So that is the intention over time. But yeah. it's just getting to the point of that agreement, putting that agreement in place so that can occur. But that, yeah. that is the intention. We'll get in trouble for not asking, is, is there any plans to fix the roof at A block? <laughs> yeah. So to be honest, I didn't know about that until until Tuesday evening, until a lot of people who stood in A block then start approaching me, telling me the roof's leaking. And that will be on a list of a number of other things which also need wasn't to be done leaking. around the stadium. It, it was condensation. Was it condensation? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah it wasn't leaking. It was happening uh, all the way throughout the South Sands. Fair enough. So if it's not leaking, even better. Yes. But if it is leaking, then it's on a list for somebody to take a look at, assess and, uh, and, and go through some remediation, uh, some remedial work as necessary. Do you think it's sustainable, Gig Lane? Because obviously it's a... It's a obviously it's a big stadium, especially for our division, and obviously it being left to sort of rot by yeah. a previous owner. What what do you think? Do you think it's going to be sustainable and we can manage that over in the future? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so, and and we have to be a little bit strategic about it and think carefully and creatively about how we make that stadium sustainable. And one one of the, the kind of challenges you've got is you, know, you look at other stadiums, look at clubs like Macclesfield who've put a lot of money into their stadium and into their stands. They've, they've got a, a lot of options for revenue generation and we've got to be able to do the same from our ground. At, at present, we probably don't, you know. Um, we've got to think about short term. How can we do that in the short term? And it's like the Starkies, what you do with 1885, sponsors rounds, you know, we had, I think there was a Puma commercial being shot down at, down at Gig Lane today and other things. And there's lots of gen- lots of opportunities for revenue generation. But you've also start, got to start to think longer term about what you can do. You know, are there some major capital work that you need to undertake in order to start to gen- generate revenue? Are there modifications you need to make to the ground? You know, longer term, do you even pull down the main stand and put a brand new main stand up, which clearly comes with su- su- substantial cost? Well, those are the sort of things and, and views we need to start having about how we operate in that stadium, how we make it sustainable, how we generate revenue and cash. That conversation about the main stand has always been something that I always remember hearing about talking when we talk about stadium moving under Stuart Day. But then it was always, if we just stuck where we are, then we probably just need to tear down that main stand just because it's definitely a lot better now now since it's been purchased and the volunteer work than it was beforehand. But I, actually, continuing on with that, what about the pitch? Obviously, AstroTurf has been mentioned in the past. Is that something yeah. that's still on a long-term uh, long-term agenda? or? Yeah, it's, it's something that needs to be considered because it provides a lot of advantages in terms of having an artificial pitch. One, you make sure you don't get any postponements from rain, from frost, you know, unless it gets particularly frosty and, and, and snowy. Um, but also, it provides an opportunity for us to grow also as a club in terms of it's a place for our women's teams to play, our kids' teams to play, our under-23s, which currently are dispersed across a multitude of different facilities. And it's also a revenue generator, so we get back into that discussion around generating revenue. Uh, there's a lot of clubs out there who, who currently have a, a 3G pitch, and that's how they generate a lot of the cash that feeds back into the club. Our record on AstroTurf is it's so good this season, though. It's not. <laughs> it's not at all. Um, two, but, two, two defeats out of two. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not at all. But I mean, that, that's it. It's just kind of getting used to, it, isn't it? You know, once you once you're playing on it full time, you'll get used to the bounce, you, the, yeah. how, the, the movement of the ball, how fast it skids off when you pass it, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I'm sure we'll be training it every every week as well, can't we? With that as well. Yeah. Well, that's it, and it makes it because you know, just you know, just as a call for there, I just got a, a call from Dave on one of the three G pitches they're on tonight. It's it's frosty. It's minus whatever it is, minus four, and it's a little bit dangerous. So, so we're trying to kind of sort things out on that level. Which, if you've got your own pitch and you're dealing with it, you can manage that possibly a lot more effectively than you otherwise could when you're dispersed in a number of different facilities. So, since the merger, how has everything been? Like at board level and everything like that, has everything sort of been going smoothly? Or since so since the elections, or since the yeah the, yeah since the elections, um, you know it's. We've been cracking on and just doing things we need to do. You know, we've been moving on. We've got we've got some priorities to work with. You know, the football doesn't stop and there's a lot going on from that perspective. So from our point of view, it's just working on the priorities, the things that need to be done and just cracking on and doing it. Is there going to be an opportunity for like a Q&A with fans down the line? Because I know we're just three fans asking questions, but yeah. I know there's going to be another hundred questions that, that we haven't asked that fans want to know is, is there going to be an opportunity for a Q&A oh yeah well there'll definitely be some form of fan forum and that's something we talked about at the football board meeting the other day and I think at the um, at the CBS board meeting that's also been discussed about having some form of fans forum where 
fans get the opportunity to ask questions. Some of that will be with something like, you know, the, 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 from the footballing side. But, you know, get people, what I've suggested is people get involved, engage with the fan base, see what they want to get out of it and, and shape that in a way which is, is meaningful for the supporters. How do you think the board are going to approach this divide? Because obviously since we've come to Giggle and we've seen the potential, which was about yeah. four or 5,000 fans, even yeah. the FA Cup game after that, we had 3,000 and obviously season ticket holders yeah. have to buy a new ticket. So getting 3,000 is quite yeah. impressive. So yeah. how is it that we get towards those numbers? Because we still know there's, I'd say, 10, 15, maybe 20% of our fan base that still hasn't come yeah. back. And as a small yeah. club like Berry, it's so important yeah. to maximise it. So what are you and also the rest of the board doing to make sure that everyone comes back and it feels like buried for them. You know, for, for, for me, I mean, it's, it's bigger than that also. You know, I think if you want to go as a club, it's not just about, you know, 10, 10 or 15% who've decided to go elsewhere, to go to Radcliffe or what's elsewhere. We've got to be absolutely pushing forward as a club to make ourselves attractive to as many people as possible who've never seen us before to come in on gates. And, and you know, one I got a, a note off somebody just, just this evening saying, you know, they're, they're walking down the stands and they're seeing people who've never been to our games before. And we've, we've got to push in all those directions. You know, you've got to make it an attractive place to come, first of all. It's a place that people want to watch football. It's a place where we're having success on the field. We've, we've seen, you know, we're winning leagues, we're scoring goals. It's, it's attractive. It, the overall match day experience has, has got to be attractive to people. And there'll be activities which take place which are focused on making it a nice place to come. Uh, and then there'll be a host, a host of other activities, which is really about driving awareness of Berry Football Club in the immediate community around, surrounding the club, but, you know, further afield across the, the wider town and borough. And that's something we've really got to drive forward because if we are to succeed, we've got to get people coming into the ground. People have enjoy it. They've got to tell their friends. They've got to tell the family. And they've got to, m- most of all, enjoy coming and watching football in in, in, in our town. No, yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. It's like, especially with in pre-season where we did that open training and we gave a lot of season tickets away, which was brilliant because you want to appeal to that younger generation. But what I'm saying is we're doing that brilliantly. But what are we going to do about the 15 20%? But some will come back because I know over summer there's been a lot of people that never went AFC. In fact, they were quite against the merger. They end up buying season tickets. Yeah. So it is possible. So what we're going to do about the other 15, 20% that with a bit of a push, maybe even with a sit down where we invite questions, they might change their mind. They might come back. What are we going to do about that? Because it might be 200 now. But then you've got their kids, and it'll double, and it'll double. Yeah, absolutely. And we grow. You know, you know, and and, and for, from my perspective, you know, I'll 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 get involved personally and talk to anyone about you know what our clubs around. You know, there are people who've probably given me pelters, and you know, I think it's everybody's giving me pelters on social media. People, you know, I'm a, I've had a sit down with folks like you know Ryan Hampson, uh, Dave Clark, uh, who've who've probably been my biggest critics over the last two years, but I'll have a sit down with them, we'll have a conversation. Yeah. You know, you know, the, the big thing, I mean, for me is people kind of shove these accusations that you're about, you know, the fact you've come from AFC. I, I, you know, I don't care. The only thing that concerns me at this moment in time is 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 making Berry Football Club as successful uh, as possible. I've got no prejudice against anybody for anything, you know, unless, unless you've done something which which is, you know, unacceptable or inappropriate. I'll, I'll talk to anyone, I'll have conversations with any person who, who wants to talk to me about football, regardless of their background, regardless of their opinions, regardless of the view, whether they like me or not. I'll have those discussions. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not here to be popular in line, but, it, you know, but I will have those conversations in a positive way. I'll listen to what people have to say and I'll give my view. They may not like my view, but many people don't. But that, that's the way I've kind of acted with other people, as you say, with people like Ryan and Dave. Who, who are some of my biggest critics and, that, and, and that's what I'm willing to do with absolutely anyone who wants to come and, and sit with me and have, have that conversation So before we round it off with you Marcel then obviously player of the month is out It's a, it's a tricky one isn't it because you're looking at who plays well you know who's come into the team and done well you know you, you see people like you know, the unsung heroes like Billy Reeves who come and put in a shift on every game. You, you've seen the guys at the back like, uh, you know, Tom Tom Moore and Ollie Jessup who, who had, had absolutely everything. I think Harry Wright's played well. You know, he, he had, you know, like every goalkeeper will do, had his little error against Skelmersdale United. But then other than that, he's been fantastic. Some brilliant saves. 
that he made on Tuesday, on Tuesday evening uh, against Pilkington. You know, Connor Connor's been back a couple of games, but Connor's looking up for it. He's only you know he's he's been he's been away from his band, but he's looking fantastic again. From from Connor's perspective, we've had people like Sam Burns come in, who's you know recently come in, um, did well against Kendall, and has done well since. So it's, it's, it's to be honest, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one for me. I don't tend to have favourites, but it's, yeah, I, I, I find it difficult. You know, he, Andy Scarsbrick, you know, probably less so this month than last month, but he's a you know a utterly fantastic player, strength, skill, speed. Too, too many to choose from, Armin. Too many to choose from. We well, can choose for you though, if you like. Go on, you tell you tell me you tell me you're gonna ask. Gaz Pete. Well, <laughs> Gaz Pete. Yeah, Gaz, Gaz, yeah Gaz absolutely. Pete. Sorry, I did forget Gaz. Gaz has been fantastic, <laughs> you know. I miss Gaz out, but yeah, Gaz has been absolutely exceptional over the last few games as well. He's been one of our best players. So yeah, I'll go with that. I'll go with what you've said, Gaz Pete. Yeah. Yeah. I tell Gaz at the end of every game how good he is. <laughs> he's brilliant. Yeah, he's one he's wonderful players, Gaz. Yeah. He's like decent, but I love seeing him like how he interacts with fans as well at the end of the game. Like he's his first one over. Selfies, signing stuff, he's belting lab. Yeah, he just gets it, doesn't he? I, that's what Ollie Jepson was saying last week, wasn't he? She said that he loves Berry. Like, absolutely loves Berry. That's what you want. And that's, you know, for us, it's, it's kind of getting getting in players who who uh, want to play for the club. They enjoy what the club's all about, the ethos which sits behind it. They build bridges and engage with fans. And those are the those are the ideal players we want as our, you know, at our, at our club as we move forward. Some of that, you know, some of those players are going to change with time. But 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 you know he, he kind of epitomises the type of player we want. Yeah, fantastic player for the club. I think what like we said about lesson learned about fundraisers, but I think I would put in for a Gas Pete fundraiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on contract. You're all right. So he's not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'll put double in then. I'll put double in. Yeah. Then. Give him another year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Marcel. It's been good to chat, and I'm sure uh, all Shakers fans will have enjoyed that. No worries. Fantastic. Yeah, pleasure. Just before we, we talk about the two previous results, I just want to um, congratulate Will on his um, recent achievements of back-to-back promotions with Berry on Football Manager. How do you feel, Will? Been a tough slog, mate. Ready for a lie down. It wasn't just back. back oh, it's changed now. It's changed. Big big turnaround this year. We've got two regions. I've only got Lenehan left. <laughs> Lenehan, he's the only one that's left. Yeah. It was now. I underplayed it to be fair. It was six trophies, wasn't it, in two seasons, including the, the FA Trophy. Yeah, FA Trophy beat crew in the semis and then Maiden head or Maidstone in the final. Big one. Get him in. Get him in yeah. statue outside the ground. I know, yeah, be waiting. And any more bad results and when uh, everyone's calling for McNabb's head, you'll be there first in line, won't you? Yeah, I've said to McNabb, I'll place for me in the dugout. So he's not responded yet. Build time. Right, so last two games then. So obviously... Since last episode, we've had two results, haven't we? We we got beat at Skelmersdale, which Ollie Jepson assured us that on the AstroTurf pitch we should be opening them up and, and battering them. And obviously, since then it's got a little bit better. We've a good reaction on, on Tuesday night uh, with a good three-one win. But Saturday, what were your thoughts on Saturday? Um, well, it's not positive, is it? I was one of the few that went. Firstly, we got there. I was driving, so put on maps. Skelmsdale United and off I go get there and I'm like you're right mate is this where Berry are playing he's like who so I'm like you know Berry he's like there's a game on but I don't know who's on and then that's when the two lads I was with Callum and Kyle decided to tell me that Berry are playing at Bursco I'm like lads are you joking sort of told me, yeah because sort of told me when we were setting off so we get there get to the game at about quarter to three go in I'm like fancy a pie in chips and peas here so get in the queue one hour later still in the queue Berry go 1-0 down, still in the queue. Yeah, finally get me food. I said, no gravy. Should put gravy on it. But yeah, so yeah, half-time we 1-0 down. And yeah, moved over to the other side. I was lucky to see about 30 Berry chances and none of them go in. Yeah, it was cold. And it was a game to forget, really. I'm sorry, but I'm just reeling that you drove to Rockingham. I had a bit of a different experience to you, I mean, I got there about quarter to one. Went and got a pint, sat in their um, clubhouse and watched the City game with the, with the Bury team. And then it was actually a decent little clubhouse, that. And then I thought, first, to be honest, I, I, with us, I'm one of them. If we score early doors, we'll beat anyone. I think we're just not taking our chances at the minute. I think Lower Brett were the same. I think we probably should have had two. I think Connor probably could have scored two. 
should have hit one first time and I think he hit the outside of the post um, from a corner or a free kick I can't quite remember should have scored two and then obviously they got that goal I think I think they had two shots didn't they they scored one and we scored one for them and the other one was straight at Harry Wright so if one of them we could have played all night couldn't we and it still we still would have lost 2-1 just weren't happening yeah, and obviously worse Briggs and Lowe going off yeah exactly and to be fair when I was in the queue for me playing chips, I was I was saying to my mate, I was saying I think Jepson could be a bit of a loss here because as good as Moore is, Jepson's the one that goes on he's the one that sweeps like wins everything, while Jepson's the one that you want on the ball. And to be fair, I think we did miss him because us work, I don't think he's a centre back. I think he's a quite a good fullback or a centre mid, but don't think he's a centre back. And it was just a smash and grab. They got their goal and just sat back. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I thought I thought on when we played Pilkington Tuesday night, I thought Jepson, who were class, put a few challenges and <laughs> drop kicked the keeper <laughs> at one point. To be honest, there's no weakness in the team for me. I think sometimes I think potentially a right back, and I, at lower break, I thought well, we need a right back. But I think Rowney and Butterworth actually, they're not doing a bad job in there. And obviously, it, it was comfortable, weren't it, Tuesday night? I think there were probably five minutes where we were a bit like, ooh, bit of danger. They got one all, but to be honest, I never thought we were losing that or, or even drawing it on Tuesday night. The back is on Saturday, but I think it's reassuring that we are having loads of chances. And obviously without Benito and without Briggs, you, you, you can sort of see why we haven't scored. But at least we bounced we bounced back straight away on Tuesday night and, we, and we've won and, and scored three goals. So hopefully that's just, we can forget about that Saturday result and just kick on now. I think Nab said it, didn't he? He said 23 cup finals, didn't he? And I think that's it, isn't it? We've, we've just got to win as many as we can. And now and hope. Other teams drop points around us. That's what we're going to do now. Yeah, I'd, I'd all rather be chasing than leading, I think, personally. Keeps the pressure on. Yeah. 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 Although it was nice when we were seven points clear, wasn't it, before that point deduction? If At we least... were top, they're saying it, I'd, I'd rather be top and coasting. Yeah. yeah. When you're in that position, it's nice, isn't it? But when you're not, it's like, right, well, this will get us fired up and it'll, it'll keep us going. But with Ensure to playing Kendall, I think Kendall got beat on Tuesday, I think, didn't he? So, uh, off press switch, maybe. Oh, Westerbury. But they're playing Kendall, so obviously that's a big game. So if Kendall can can take something off them and, and we win, gets us a little bit closer again, doesn't it? We've said this before, but the more we go into the season, the more giggling is going to help us out because games in hand don't necessarily mean points, especially when it becomes March, April time and you're playing every other couple of days and you've got yeah. part-time players with other commitments. That's when they'll drop off and that's when we'll see the impact of giggling. Yeah, we've definitely... There have been games where we've had a, a scare or two at Big Lane, but we've always pulled through, haven't we? And maybe that's the fans as well, like the games that it was like Litherland where we were struggling in the first half and then we came through at the end and we were low score twice late on. I feel like that's the, not only just the pitch is better and it's bigger and I think it's going to suit the way we play, but the fans as well. And hopefully towards the end of the season, the numbers will grow and, and start to get behind and we'll, we'll keep staying above that 3,000 mark even on Tuesday nights, hopefully, and maybe do some initiatives to get to get everyone there and give us that boost. Because obviously we've got to play Gloucester again, haven't we? So don't yeah. think we'll be hitting that record again, if it, if it, especially if it's going to be on a Tuesday night. But No, I don't think we're going to get over the 3,500 mark again until the end of the season, maybe. I think when it gets down to the nitty-gritty and those games mean a bit more and people want to see us winning the league, I think that might be when we get a few more down, and especially when it gets a bit warmer as well. So we jumped a little bit towards the weekend, but the, so our man of the match voted by the fans this weekend was Conor Comber. We've got some three-word um, match reports from the fans. So this is from Tuesday night, sorry. So we have Dave's the man from Will himself with us here. Thomas Pickup, midfield, completely dominant. Callum Mayer, who needs Palmer. Elliot Seal, trusting McNabb. Gary White, another debut goal. Steve-O, normal... Oh, he's got four words in here. Actually, he's got a lot more than that. <laughs> I was reading the first three. Normal service has resumed. I'll cut it there. I'll let him have the four. He could have just took out the has. Uh, Rob Black, never in doubt. Sean, back to business. And I can't miss arming off. Super Dave McNabb. Speaking of which, he has something to say about Man of the Match City. He popped up to us on Tuesday night to say Billy Reeves is oh, the yeah. only man for Man of the Match. Yeah, he put, the only answer is Billy Reeves. Outstanding tonight. Yeah, he wasn't even in our poll. He mustn't have been happy with our poll, yeah. <laughs> no, no. And you know I, what? I suggested I him. I'm, I'm not having did. it. I suggested him. You did. So there's only one man we have to blame. It was Elliot. He's the Probably. man that stopped us from putting him in. We should be listening to the um, football manager who's amongst us. So, so this weekend, if it's going to be on or not, I'm already seeing people pessimistic about the chances of it being on. 
I think with the the weather that's that's coming at Longridge, I think we're usually quite confident, <laughs> no matter who we're playing against, um, that we're going to get a result. But obviously they're closer down to the bottom of the division, aren't they? Along like Skimmersdale were. But you've got a fancy our chances, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. To be honest, I'm not looking forward to driving to Preston. I do it five times in a week. Don't want to make it a six, but we'll do it for the Shakers. Uh, you, you might go somewhere else first, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I end up in the centre of Preston, you never know, a few good places. Yeah, where else? Of um, course, Tuesday nights. <laughs> I think, uh, was, it, was it Billy Reeves who was saying that they've got a decent pitch as well, I think, in his post-match? I think they were saying they were looking forward to playing on it. Right. But I'm still going 2-1 us. Close game. Yeah. Yeah. 5-0. 5 nil, <laughs> Berry. Are we expecting um, Briggs and Lowe to be back, do we know? No, he said Lowe was a couple of weeks. Oh, no, sorry. Briggs were a couple of weeks because he, he thought he broke it. He went for an x-ray. Um, Lowe, he said, they're not sure if he's pulled something or it were a really bad dead leg. So, but he didn't really give a time frame on that. I think it depends on what it is. So I think it might be another, potentially another game, maybe two games out on both. I wonder if Hobson will start then. To be honest, he, he looked lively when he came on, didn't he? Handful. Personally, I think he got a little, little bit lucky with his goal. Absolutely. Keeper jumped out of the way. But, you know, you have to be there to take it, don't you? To be fair, I'd jump out of the way too when it's minus three. <laughs> he just had enough by that point. But I think I think you could probably expect him to be on the bench, can't you? And hopefully getting some more minutes. Yeah, I think McNabb said he was still, he was going to be on the bench. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? I think it's good that we're getting... We're still going to be bringing those youth players through. It's good. Obviously, they've had such a good record in the league, um, as we touched on last week. But obviously, if there's players there being buried in this division, and as it's showing, we can obviously attract players, can't we, from divisions higher. So it's quite easy for us just to say, someone gets injured or something, all right, we'll just go and grab someone from another division like we have done. But it's good that we're still bringing players through. And obviously, first chance of asking with league debut, he's, he's going to score, hasn't he? So. Needs to do it again on Saturday. Five times, I'm inside. Yeah, I've got him <laughs> down for my fifth goal, actually. I've got Sam Burns on a couple. Um, who else is going to get it? Connor Conbert get one. Uh, Connor Conbert, yeah, you know what? Gaspy. Looking forward to having Gaz on next week. Yeah, we'll have to get him on. Player of the month, hopefully. I'll go 3-1, I reckon. I reckon another 3-1. We'll concede and then I think we'll still get a few more goals, even without Briggs and, Briggs and Lowe. So, this week's Shaker shout-out goes to Joe Hobson. Our goal scorer on Tuesday night, making his league debut for Berry, coming off the bench. Young under-21 player, so our shout-out goes to him this week and hopefully we'll give him a shout-out again if he scores again on Saturday. I think Marvin's tearing up as we speak. <laughs> yeah, he'll be happy with that one. He won't be so happy with um, Will saying that the keeper jumped out the way for his goal. Though, but... <laughs> don't shoot, don't score, mate. This week's shake on it. I think Armin is quite adamant on dressing up. So he's got another one for us this week, haven't you, Armin? Mate. I reckon if we're not top of the league by Alleman, we'll spend the whole weekend in fancy costume voted by our listeners within reason. Within reason. We said obviously we, we thought we were gonna win the Vars, didn't we? So <laughs> when you that's when you were previously gonna dress up. So yes. yeah, we can we can pick we can come up some without this between us and, and do a poll and then well, that's what you're gonna wear the whole time that you're in the Isle of Man. I'll turn up as Gas Pete. <laughs> as long as you're not playing left back. <laughs> Well, that brings another episode to an end. Thank you for joining us on the Mighty Shakers podcast and look forward to coming back next week with a special guest that's hopefully, well, deservedly our player of the month, Gaz Pete. See you next week, boys. Cheers. Yeah, See you later. Okay.